Y'all have a great week? Anyway, we have been studying the names of God. Who is God? What can we know about him by his names? And this is the last week we're going to be looking at the names of God. Uh, In all probability, next week I'm going to start a series on the Ten Commandments. I think we've all heard of those. People are trying to remove them from different places. But uh, it's an amazing document that God gave us on the law and how our lives are to be lived. And sometimes we look at it and it's kind of negative, but it isn't really because the law, the Bible says, is God's love. It demonstrates his love towards us. And so I think it's going to be a great study as we get into that for about 10, 11 weeks. But I want to finish up on this study of the names of God. And you remember some of the names that we talked about. We talked about El or Elohim. It means he's a strong one. It simply means my God has the power to do whatever he needs to do and whatever he wants to do. And he certainly has the power to meet the needs of my life. So he is El, Elohim in the, in the Hebrew. Another term that we find there is Adonai, and that's translated Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d. And it's talking about the fact that he is sovereign. He is my Lord. He is my master. And we tend to forget that God is in control. We get so concerned about things within the world and how they're going, and what's happening, and what's taking place. And certainly God has given humanity a freedom of choice that takes place within his desired will. And so we begin to understand that. But, but you know, God is in control. He is the master. He is the sovereign. There was a third term that we used, and it's when God came to Moses, and he said, Moses, I want you to take my children, the children of Israel, out of the grips of Egypt. And uh, Moses said, okay, well, I really don't want to go, but if I go, what am I going to tell him your name is? And he said, well, <laughs> tell him that my name, my name is I am that I am. I am the great I am. I am the self-existent one. I am not dependent on anyone or anything else. I brought it all into existence, and it's all mine. And I have the ability to bring them out of the nation of Egypt and establish them in the land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God did that. And uh, the name there that we draw from at the great I Am is Yahweh. We talk about that. It used to be translated Jehovah. But that was combining Adonai with the four Hebrew letters that we find there, and they came up with Jehovah. But in all probability, that's not how it's pronounced. It would more likely be Yahweh, although That may not be right either. We just don't know for sure. But we go with that, uh, the vowel points that we put in there. And we we talked about Yahweh being that one who is is self-existent. And then we began to look at some compounds. And you remember the first one we looked at was, he is Yahweh Jireh. used to be Jehovah Jireh. And they even made songs about that. But he is the one who provides. The Lord is my provider. That's really what it says. And, and, and we realize that everything we have comes from God. It doesn't matter what it is in this world. God created everything, and he gave it to us. And it, it's like when Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He says, our Father who art in heaven. Then he got down there, and he says, give us this day our daily bread. Give us the provision we need. Do you give God credit for his provision? Do you give him credit for the clothes you wear? for the house you live in, the car you drive, the gas that you put in the car. You know, God made all that available to us. He is still the one who does it, and we need to give thanks for that. 
So Jehovah Jireh. There's a, a, a second compound that we looked at, and that was the idea of um, Yahweh Ra'ah. When David was uh, being pursued, if you go back in the Old Testament, he was be per- being pursued by his son Absalom. As Absalom wanted to take over the throne of David, and David was on the run. And he wrote a, a great psalm. You know what psalm it was, you remember? 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I think he was probably thinking back to previous years when he had been a shepherd up on the, on the slopes there above Bethlehem before he ever became king, before he ever focused or dealt with Goliath, before he ever became entangled with Saul. And he thought, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He's all I need. You see, is God all you need today? Is he really? You know, when we begin to think about all these other things that we want, we get so frustrated and, and, and it gets so... Such to be such a struggle for us because if I could just have this or if I could just have that or I'm not sure I'm going to have enough. And we need to stop and realize that God is the provider and God is our shepherd and God is all we need and we don't need anything else. And he'll, he'll meet the needs. God is my Ra'a. God is my Yahweh. The Lord is my Rafa. He's my healer. God heals us in a lot of different ways. I, I certainly believe that he's a healer in terms of physical illness. I know that I have prayed for people. Others have prayed for people. And they've gone to the doctor, and the doctor's given them a negative diagnosis. And then they go back later, and they're sure that there's going to be a problem. And all of a sudden, the cancer or whatever it is is gone. Or, or over a period of time, they're healed. And God is the one who heals. He's the one that ultimately brings that about. I, I think we need to realize that he is our healer And then the final term that we want to look at today is the Lord is our banner. The Lord is our victory. Yahweh Nisi. If we were to translate it from the Hebrew, it would be N-I-S-I. He's my banner. And uh, we don't know so much about banners today. We don't, uh, well, we've got some banners hanging back here, but, but they're different than what it's talking about here. The Lord, we could say, is our victory because the banner was that banner that they would oftentimes have when they would go to war and into battle. And, you know, did, did any of you used to watch old westerns, John Wayne type stuff? Okay. You know, when the cavalry was going in, they always had that guy out in the front with the banner. And the whole, all the troop followed them. They were right behind them. There they were. It was a banner. And it led them into war. And when the war was over, if the banner was, or the battle was over, if the banner was still there, they would rally around that because they were victorious. You've probably seen the monument at Iwo Jima where uh, the, the Marines are putting up the flag. And it was an evidence of victory. Uh, we're told that in the War of 1812... Um, Francis Scott Key was, was off the shore there in the east and uh, close to Fort McHenry. Fort McHenry was being shelled by the English and uh, it, was, it was near Baltimore, Maryland. And, and Francis Scott Key said as he would watch and the dawn came up, he could still see the flag flying. 
There were 15 alternating red and white stripes. There were 15 stars embedded on that flag. It was huge. It was about, I think, 32 by 40. This is about 50 across. So you begin to think of how big it was. But as long as the flag was there, the fort hadn't been taken. And you see, the banner was an evidence of victory. And so when we look at it like that, we realize that here it says, God is my banner. He is the the one who brings victory. Well, I want to read a passage for you this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus Exodus chapter 17. We're going to be looking at verse 8 through 16. Exodus 17, verses 8 through 16. But let me just bring you up to date with where we are. You remember that the Israelites were in Egypt. They had been there for 400 years, a portion of that. They were there as slaves. They were used as laborers. They were crying out to God, God, we need out of here. And so God sent Moses, and he brought about 10 plagues on the nation of Egypt until the Egyptians finally said, leave. We want you gone. God delivered them, and so he was their great deliverer. They went out, and they were about to the Red Sea, and all of a sudden they looked back, and the Egyptians were following them, and they cried out to God again, and God opened the waters of the Red Sea, and they went across, and when they got across, the waters closed on the Egyptians because the Egyptians followed them in. It says the Lord, the horse and the rider fell into the sea, and they rejoiced. They had seen God work. He had done a miracle, and and then they began to cross the wilderness. They were going to the land that God had told them they were going to have. And as they traveled across the wilderness, they came to a spring. They were getting thirsty. They were about three days out. And uh, they began a pattern because when they got to this spring, they had water, it's great. They were crying for water. They dove in, and you remember, what was the problem with the spring of Mara? It was bitter. It wasn't good. It didn't quench the thirst. And yet God gave Moses a way to make it sweet. And then they went on to... Uh, the springs of Elam, there were 12 springs there. It was great, and uh, God had provided for them. It was amazing how God provided. They left the springs of Elam, and on the way out, they began to say, Lord, we're hungry. You, you, you took us away from Egypt, and we're going to starve? And God gave them, it came down, and it was like dew in the morning, and it was called manna. They would gather it for six days. Seventh day, they only didn't have to gather, just got twice as much on the sixth. God provided God was a provider. Yahweh Jireh, he's a, he's a great provider. He is their leader. He is their shepherd. He would lead them by a, a, a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. And so they'd come and they had eaten. They had gone through it. They came to a place called Rephidim. And Rephidim was the next place they camped, but it was a dry camp. No water. Lord, what do we do? And they went to Moses and they cried out to Moses and they were bitter and they were muttering and they were unhappy and they were tired. How many of you get kind of cranky when you get tired? Yeah, that's kind of how they were. They were cranky people. And Moses said to God, what am I going to do? He says, take your staff and go hit that rock over there. And he went and hit the rock and immediately water gushed out. It was amazing. Later on, he was to do that, but he was only to speak to the rock, and he didn't, not anger. He hit the rock hard, and God said, you can no longer go into the promised land, Moses, because he, he didn't respond as God would have him to. But while they were there, there was an enemy that came at them, and uh, 
the leader was a man by the name of Amalek. And he led the Amalekites against the Israelites. And I want to just read this passage for you. It says, And Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. And so Moses said to Joshua, Choose men from us to go out and fight against Amalek. And tomorrow I will station myself on the top of a hill with the staff of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses told him, and he fought against Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up on the top of the hill. And so it came about when Moses held his hand up, you know, think about that, holding that rod, that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. This guy was over 80, okay? You get that point. You don't want to hold it up a long time with some big stick in it. And yet that's what he had to do. And Moses' hands were heavy. And then he took a stone and he put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. And thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this in the book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua. I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar, and he named it, The Lord is My Banner. Yahweh Nissi. The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my victory. And remember, that's not Lord as sovereign or Lord as master, but that is Lord as the ever-present one. That is Lord as the one who is not reliant on anyone else. He is self-reliant. He is a self-reliant God. He is the eternal God. He is the creator of all things. And he said, the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war on Amalek from generation to generation. You know, we, uh, we all have battles in our lives at times. It may not be that we go to war with some other, <laughs> with our neighbor, and we club them and they club us. That's, that's not the idea here. But I think we have battles. We have battles of the mind. How do I keep my mind focused on the things that should? How do I keep my mind focused on God? We have moral battles. There was a book that came out a number of years ago. It was called Every Man's Battle. And it just dealt with the morality of a man's mind and where he goes and the things he's involved in and how it affects him. We have battles concerning our finances sometimes and paying the bills, don't we? We have a lot of areas we struggle with. We can have battles in terms of how we get along in our marriage and how we get along with one another and how do I deal with that. And so we struggle with some of these issues. These battles. Well, there was a battle that was about to rage with the Israelites, and it was to be with the Amalekites, with Amalek. It says in verse 8, Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. And you see, the Israelites probably, they possibly knew a little bit about the Amalekites because they were a Bedouin, Bedouin tribe. They were also distant cousins. I don't know if the Israelites still remember that or not, but they were... Uh, descendants of Esau, who was a brother of Jacob. And so there was a, a tie there, but they were Bedouins. And they came up, and from what I understand, they probably came to the high country where the Israelites were at that point. And 
they were driving their sheep up or their, their uh, cattle or whatever they had. And, and they were going up because there was food there. As Bedouins, they would travel along with their flocks and the Israelites were already there. There wouldn't be enough food for their flocks. And so they began to attack the Israelites. Listen, they, they didn't attack them in a very nice way. Listen to Deuteronomy. Don't turn shit there, but let me read to you. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 17 to 19. It says, Remember that Am- what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. How he met you along the way and attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear when you, when you were faint and weary. And listen to this. He did not fear God. He did not fear God. Uh, it's kind of the idea that they would go along and, and, and the older people or uh, the parents with small children or those who were weak or those who were physically disabled were in the back. And who did Amalek attack? Those are the ones he attacked. He didn't attack the main group of Israelites. He began to just pick away. And you know, sometimes when we're tired, and they were tired, they were worn out from traveling, that, that makes it hard. It eats away at you. And that's true for our lives as well when we're struggling with issues and... <laughs> Life's kind of tough, and, and, and we're getting a little bit cranky, and we're getting a little uptight, and all of a sudden things come against us that we're not ready for. We, we don't want it that way, and so we need to get ready to deal with those battles in our lives, the feelings, the emotions, the activities that are going on, and each one of you could probably sit down today and you could write down some things you struggle with, something that's there in your life, something that makes a a negative impact. And I would tell you today, one of the very first things you need to do if you're going to deal with those issues in your life is you need to be able to sit down and name what the battle is. What is it I'm dealing with? What is it that's causing me problems? It may come out in the way I talk to my wife, my actions, my attitudes, and it has nothing to do with her or how she talks to me, and it has nothing to do with me. It's just that we're struggling. And there's little things picking away at our lives, and maybe we're tired. And I think one of the very first things you need to do is, is determine what your battle is going to be, but you need to be rested. You need to be prepared for whatever's going to come your way. It's interesting to me that when Jesus' disciples went out, and they had been doing what he asked them to do, and they came back and they were explaining about their ministries, And in Mark chapter 6, Jesus made a a statement to his disciples. They had just returned, and and let me read it to you, verses 30 to 31 of of Mark 6. It says, The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said, Come away with me by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. Sometimes that's hard for us to do, but we need to do it. I think it's so important that ladies, if they get a chance, go up to women's retreat and get away. Oh, I can't do that. i got to leave the kids. My husband can't handle them. Guess, guess what? He can. He can. Generations before have done it. Your husband can make it too. But you go up and you say, well, sometimes I go up there and I don't get much rest up there. Well, I'll tell you what you do. You Go to listen to the speaker, but if she isn't necessarily what you need to listen to right now, you take your Bible and go off someplace quiet 
and sit by yourself with the Lord and get some rest. Men need to do that in the fall. Ladies, get your husband out of the house. Send him away. Tell him to go to men's retreat. Uh, tell him to go someplace else. Get a weekend away. Get some time away during the, the week. Take a couple of days off. And, and just renew your strength. There's, there's that idea of, of just restoring ourselves. And then I'd say along that with that, when you got that battle out there, keep, a, keep alert for possible problems. Uh, they knew that the Amalekites were attacking and they needed to be aware of that and keep pace. Be aware of what's going on. And recognize something as we look at this. The battle is not simply flesh and blood. Uh, it's also spiritual. We need to be aware of the, the physical things that are going on, the things that are dealing with, whether it's our job or our finances, our marriages, but we also need to be aware that the Bible says those have spiritual implications as well. And we forget that sometimes. We separate the two, and we shouldn't, because it's not until we begin to understand the spiritual implications that we can really deal effectively with the battle that we're in. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, 18, you remember I said, it said they didn't fear God. You come into situations with people that you're dealing with, and a lot of them don't fear God. And you need to realize that you need to rely on God for your support and your help and your strength. I'm not going to ask how many of you have struggled with somebody at work. Maybe somebody that talked about you or said things about you or you just struggled with. You knew that they didn't like you, and you may not have liked them a whole lot. I remember when I was in the chapel, I was a chaplain's assistant. And uh, we had another chaplain's assistant. We went in about the same time, and I was over in uh, one of the smaller chapels serving with a, a chaplain over there. And uh, this chaplain's assistant was in the main chapel, and he was serving under the primary chaplain. And I remember getting together with him and Talking and so often he would tell me about the negative things about the chaplain and how the chaplain did this and the chaplain did that and the problems with the chaplain and I kind of went, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, you're right, uh-huh. Till one day I was talking to the chaplain who needed to talk to me because he wanted to straighten me out on some things, I think. And I found out that that chaplain's assistant was doing the same thing with the chaplain about me. And you see, sometimes we have those situations that aren't positive. Here was a guy that was not undermining the chaplain, but he was undermining me. And so the very first thing you need to realize is not only your problem with that physical person, but how is God going to help you? In Ephesians chapter five, 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Or our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the spiritual for or the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And so, what you deal with on a daily basis as Christians, sometimes those things seem a little overwhelming, but it has to do with spiritual issues, and we need to understand that in every issue of our life. So, you know, need to know who your enemy is. Number two. You need to make preparation for the battle. Listen to verse 9. So Moses said to Joshua, 
Joshua, choose men for us and go out and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself up on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Moses was 80. How many of you know 80-year-old men that should be leading troops into battle? I don't know very many. There may be some, I don't know, but Moses said that's not his job. He went and he found somebody else that could do the job for him. And sometimes when you're going through struggles and you're going through issues, you need to find some help. You need to find someone who can do the job on your behalf. And so he went and found his best general. He said, here's Joshua. He's the only one that can do it. Don't forget that the Israelites were slaves. They weren't trained military. They were slaves. And so he said, Joshua, I want you to go out and I want you to find your best men and you're going to lead them into battle. And so sometimes when we've got struggles and we're dealing with issues, we need to find people to help us. I think so often we think we can do things alone and we wait too long and we don't get the help we need. Maybe in your marriage. I've had people come and talk to me and they say, well, I don't think our marriage is going to make it. Well, they've waited and waited and waited until it isn't. And then they come and say, can you do a miracle? Probably not at that point. We could have earlier. But you see, it, it, it's, there's nothing wrong with getting help. In fact, maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your marriage. Go, go down to the bookstore. Go to uh, Christian book distributors and, and, and find some texts that help you deal with those issues that you're struggling with. Put those principles into practice. Because if you live in this world today, you're not getting good direction. You're not getting good guidance. And so go and, and find some help. And if, if, if you can't find any there, go to somebody that's an expert in the area. You know, Corwin's got a, a degree in counseling. Uh, I do counseling. Sometimes when people need it, they just need to come and sit down and talk and say, can you help out? We, I'm certainly not an expert in finances. You need to find somebody else that can do that, and there are people that can help out. But let me just say that uh, find a Christian. Too often we go, i got to find a counselor. I'll go to my doctor, and they'll give me somebody who isn't a believer at all and doesn't stand, understand those principles that need to be applied to your life effectively. They'd probably tell you if you're having troubles in your marriage, well, just split up and go different directions. And yet that's not God's help. And so I, I would say you need to make preparation. You need to find people that are going to help you deal with whatever the issue is. And then in terms of, of enlisting spiritual help, listen to what Moses said he was going to do. He says, well, you're out there with those guys tomorrow. Moses said, Moses and Aaron and her went up to the top of the mountain. He said, I'll station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And uh, man, I think there needs to be prayer. That's really what Moses is saying. He says, I'm not going to pray blindly. I'm going to know exactly what I'm praying for. And uh, you may find people that can pray with you about your circumstances, about your situations, about the things going on in your life. And they can hold you up before the Lord. They, they can be an accountability partner that says, I will pray with you. I will pray for you. And I'll tell you what, I don't think much happens if we don't have those prayer warriors behind us. So important that we find people that will pray with us 
and we will pray, have people who will pray for us. And Moses said, I'm going to go up, and while the battle's going on, I'm going to be at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So before the battle ever started, he began to go and pray. We're in battles all the time. Do you know that? We're in a battle right now, this morning. As we sit here, we are in a battle. And uh, one of the battles is God would love to distract me. Just as much as that God will, or Satan, or not God, but Satan. And Satan would love to distract you so you don't even hear what's being said this morning. You're thinking about something else right now, possibly. Somebody stands up in the middle of the service and goes out. Do you know where everybody's head goes to? They follow them out, and they're lost in terms of what we're saying. They're missing out on what God's saying. Some of the greatest distractions are when people around you are talking. And they're talking, and they distract everybody around them. I, I, we went to uh, that concert the other night and dinner, and I was sitting there, and the, the young people were getting ready to sing, and I heard this dad back there talking to his child, just in a voice not quite as loud as this, but pretty close. And I go, man, be quiet. I love children. Children are great. Babies are great. But I'll tell you, you're sitting somewhere in the middle there, and that baby gets to be about six months, seven months. It isn't the crying. Mom puts it up on his shoulder, her shoulder. Get that right. And all of a sudden, that baby's kind of looking around. Do you know what happens for three rows behind? They're gone. They're gone. They don't hear a thing. That's part of the battle that goes on here. Satan wants to distract. And he wants us to not be able to hear the things that he says. And so we need to be prepared. And, and Moses said, I'm going to go up on the hill and I'm going to pray while you're in the battle. One of the best things that can happen for a worship service is when a church comes prepared to listen and get what God has for them. But I'll tell you how to do that effectively. It's when the pastor's preaching, the worship team's praying, or playing, and they're singing, that there are people over there praying all through that service. We have about three of us that get together before the service starts, and we pray. We welcome you to come and be with us. We get here about 9.15 or 8.15, and we go in there, talk a little bit, and then we pray because it's important to pray before the service. We pray for the children's ministry. We pray for our worship team. We pray for the message. We pray for the things going on in this service. A guy by the name of Daniel Henderson used to be the pastor of Arcade Baptist in uh, Sacramento, big church. And he had people during every service outside someplace praying for that service. They tell us that Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers in the 1800s in England, I, I think the church seated something like a thousand people. And they had a room, I'm told, below that service, and there were probably half of that many who were down there the entire time the service was going on praying for people by name and praying for the pastor and praying for the ministry. I'll tell you something. If we had people that came to one, one or the other services in the opposite service, they sat over there and prayed for the people that were in here 
and prayed by name for those individuals and prayed for their pastor, it makes a big difference. God would change things. It wouldn't be what we do. It's what God does. Can I get a, be a busybody? I'll be a busybody for my friends back there in the back. A lot of times as we get to be seniors, we think we can't do many ministry activities anymore. The wonderful thing I've seen about seniors is very often there are prayer warriors. And if the seniors, now now is when I'm getting to be a busybody. I'm just going to throw this out. I hope it's from you, Lord. If the seniors came to the first service, and instead of going to dinner during the second service, they went over there and prayed as a group and then went to lunch, what could God do for our church? Pray with the expectation he's going to do something. What if people from the second service went over there and prayed all through the first service for what's going on in here? What could God do for our worship team? For the pastor? For people coming in and haven't been here for very long yet? For people that have been here for 10, 12, 14 years? What could God do? You see, do we really expect God to do much? And if we do, are we willing to get down like Moses and pray? And and then we need to confront the enemy. That's the next thing. Verse 10, it says, Joshua did as Moses told him to. In other words, he went and got the guys and he fought against Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur against the Amalek. Uh, Moses and Hur went up on top of the hill. And there they were. They were looking down. It wasn't just blind prayer. And then as the progression of the battle went on, it was based on their prayer. How how did it work? Verses 11 through 13. So it came about when Moses held his hand up, holding that rod, that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. Moses' hands were heavy. And when they took a stone, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported the hands, one on one side and one on the other, and thus his hands were steady until the sun set. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Why did he overwhelm them? Because they were great warriors? (laughs) No, they probably weren't nearly as good as the Amalekites. But they overwhelmed them because of the power of God when Moses prayed. And I would imagine her and Aaron prayed. Now, I want you to get a picture of this, can you? Any of you like football? Go Go to football games? Yeah, yeah. I like it. But can you imagine what it's like? Coach is over there on one side. And when he holds his hand up like this, his team's winning and the ball goes that way. But when he drops his hand, the other team's winning and it goes that way. And they're all going, I don't know if Moses and Aaron and Hur did that just for the fun of it to see how it went or not. But I'll tell you what happened. When they sat Moses down because it was so much, he needed support, he needed help. They held his hands up for him. It's kind of the idea of coming together as a group to pray. We go back to that passage where it says two or three, where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he will be in their midst. It isn't necessarily talking about prayer, but certainly we can draw that principle there. Corporate prayer is not a bunch of people praying in different places. 
Corporate prayer is people coming together and praying together before God. I think of corporate prayer in terms of when Peter was in jail and uh, he didn't know what was going to happen. Nobody knew what was going to happen. James had just been killed and the people went to, the Christians went to the home of a woman by the name of Mary and they prayed for Peter and God interceded and he was set free. Because they prayed. Because they came before the Lord. Do we pray? I think it is a key to winning our battles, folks, that we spend time in prayer and we do it as a church. And if we believe that God answers prayer and we have a belief that God has the ability to meet our needs, then why don't we pray? Why don't we? We need to pray. It goes on and after the victory was won, and, and usually they would come around the kite on, listen to what it says in verses 14 through 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this in the book as a memorial. I want you to remember this. Don't forget it. Recite it to Joshua. I will utterly blot out the memory of, the Amal- of Amalek from under heaven. I- I'm just going to wipe him out. And Moses built an altar, and he named it, The Lord is my banner, Yahweh Nissi. And he said, Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. I'm going to tell you something. You may win the battle today. You'll probably be in another one tomorrow. It may be the same issue. It may be a different issue. I don't know what it is. It may be something to deal with your tongue or or whatever you struggle with. But the battle will be there. And I believe if we are to defeat the issues, if we want to see God do great things in our lives individually as well as a church, it begins with knowing the battles that are there, preparing for them, going out to fight the battle, but in the same way having a support base that is going before the Lord. There's the things that are going on in our lives today, but there's a thing also that's spiritual. And we've got to be drawing God into that relationship. Whether as individuals or as a corporate body, we pray. You know, I'm, I'm going to be uh, establishing a prayer ministry for the next month here. And I hope you'll get involved. I, I think it's something the church needs to do. Um, we're fighting a, ba- a battle in America with spirituality. Where, where is America today? Where is California today spiritually? Man, they, they tell us that one of the greatest mission fields in the world are children in America today. They just don't hear or know much about God. And so uh, Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, has, uh, he did Decision America a year or so ago during the election. He's going to do Decision America, the California tour. And he's going up the West Coast this year. And he's going to be stopping at towns. And he'll be there for a night. And he'll give an evangelistic message. And um, they will have special music. I I think it's going to be a great time. And the places that are close to where we are uh, are Modesto. Uh, There's where I am. Modesto, Santa Clara, and Berkeley. 
And I talked to our worship, uh, to our leadership team, and I said, well, where would we want to go? And they said, probably the easiest place to get in would be Modesto. We're going to be pretty jammed up traffic-wise and otherwise in the other places. And so we've decided that we want to go there as a church. I, I encourage you to put this on your calendar. It'll be May 29th. It's a Tuesday. And uh, it's going to be at the Stanislaw County Fairgrounds in Turlock. So put that on there. But up until that time, they want churches to begin to pray. is isn't going to do much good if people aren't praying. You know, the, the Bible says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, God will restore the land. Well, that was talking about Israel, not necessarily about the United States. But there are some principles that God will impact the land we're in if we come to him in prayer. And so we're going to begin to pray, pray for this. We're going to uh, have information coming up on it. And then I hope you put down uh, May the 29th and make that a priority to be there. It's going to be a busy, busy time, folks. Uh, for my family, it's extremely a busy time because Juliet's graduating in the next couple of weeks and uh, all the things that are going on around that. And uh, I won't tell you when her birthday is, but uh, I know it's in the 29th. <laughs> So, uh, but, but we're going to go down there, and we really want you to go with us, so I hope you put it on your calendar. But we're going to set up some prayer programs for that, and we need to be praying that God uses that in our state. And we need to expect big things from God. We've got a big God. Yahweh Nissi, he is our banner, he is our victory. And... Um, I'd encourage some of you that want to come, and normally Sunday nights, we don't come on Sunday night to pray right this week because we're going to be eating spaghetti. I don't know which is more important, but we're going to eat some spaghetti, but normally we're here on Sunday nights, and there's three of us. Uh, the other guys are backsliders. They sit in the back rows back here, but uh, we're going to be here normally on Sunday nights to pray, and we pray for the church. We come in early on Sunday mornings to pray for the church. If we got too many from my office, we'll move to the other side over there. But I think we need to be seeking God for the battles that go on in our lives to do His will, for the battles that go on in the church to do His will and seek His face. And I believe that when we do that, God's going to make big changes in our lives. Uh, I'll tell you, if we made a commitment on that for three months or six months or a year, uh, it's amazing, I believe, what our church would look like in a year from now if we made that commitment as a body. But we commit ourselves not to say, yeah, we'll all pray kind of whenever, or we'll start the meeting with prayer and we'll close it with prayer and we'll do it, our thing in between. But when we really Bring the church and our activities before God, seeking his power and his will. It's when it makes a difference. Let's pray. Father, I don't know what everybody's going through here today. I don't know the battles that they're facing. I'm sure there are some that are facing battles that may be habitual, addictive. There are some that are probably facing battles I know that may have to do with their families, their marriages, their kids. There are others that are probably facing battles where they're struggling with jobs or they're struggling with financial security. And those things get overwhelming, Father. And, and sometimes we think, well, I'll handle it, I'll handle it. And, and we don't do it very well on our own. We need you. You are the power that makes a difference. You are Elohim. You are all-powerful. You are Adonai. You are our sovereign. You are 
Yahweh, you are the self-existent one who is not reliant on anything or anybody else, but who loves us so much that you gave your son to die for us. Father, you are the one who supplies our needs. You are our great shepherd. You're our healer. You heal the hurts and the hang-ups and the habits that are in our lives, Father. You, you are our victory. Help us never forget those things, Father. Help us to come to you and seek you out regularly, daily, multiple times during the day just to seek your support and your love. Thank you, Father. You are the faithful God. I pray, Father, for each individual here this morning. They've come, and, and I pray that your spirit has touched their lives. I pray that you would strengthen them and support them, that they would go out of here today prepared in, in some way better to face the issues and the trials they're going to deal with this next week. Because some of them will face trials. They will face temptations. They will face issues in their lives that are a struggle. And I pray that you would strengthen them and lift them up by your power. Thank you, Father. Thank you for loving us that much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.